Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio and I use radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and this is the end of the year, and we are going to review 2017 with my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU, Max Jones, the editor of the Terre Haute Tribune Star, Jeff Kovaleski, who's the editor of the Kokomo Tribune, and we hope to be joined today and a little bit later in the program by Alvy Lindsay from the Indianapolis Star. So it's been an eventful year. And uh, we're going to talk about it in here. Unfortunately, you can't call us today. We're pre-recording this program, um, but we hope you'll listen to it and uh, you know, yell at the radio if you disagree with us or whatever you need to do. But we're going to talk about 2017. It's been a crazy year. So, Jeff, I'm going to just start with you. Uh, you know, national, state, local, all sorts of things have been going on. How do you think that 2017 will be remembered? I don't think it's going to be remembered as well as 2018 is going to be. Yeah. Um, I think 2018 is going to be, we're going to find out whether um, tax cuts work. Uh, we're going to find out whether um, the president's uh, campaign had colluded with the Russians. Yeah, I think uh, this year is going to pale in comparison to next year. Max, what about you? Well, I think that's probably a, a, a pretty fair assessment of things. Um, certainly on the national level, that's true. I think one of the interesting thing, things that happened in the past year that I remember was, uh, uh, in terms of our state level, how we had a new governor uh, who took such an opposite approach to governing and dealing with public policy than his president did. Uh, so whereas we had this uh, in-your-face uh, confrontational type of uh, political approach on the national level, uh, suddenly here in Indiana we have a governor who, who goes about things much, much differently, even though he comes from the same political uh, persuasion. So um, it will be interesting to see how Eric Holcomb's second year as governor uh, is handled. Uh, you know, it'll be a big election year, and there's probably going to be some major changes uh, that take place. Uh, Indiana does have its swings. Uh, so 2018 may may indeed be uh, a year that uh, even Indiana sees some dramatic change. Well, I think along those lines, too, Max, it, it, he was not just different from his uh, president, but also from his predecessor, who's now the vice president. Mm, very much so. And even his... Uh, and even Mike Pence's predecessor, uh, in, in some ways, even even though Governor Holcomb comes from the the Mitch Daniels lineage, uh, he governs differently than even what Mitch Daniels did, who 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 at times did have a more confrontational uh, approach, especially on public policy issues as opposed to social issues. Mm -hmm. And Holcomb is just one of these guys who's trying to do it differently. Staying on this issue of sort of things going on at the state house, one of the things I know we covered a lot was the issue of cold beer sales, and there was Rickers that was sort of leading this this protest against Indiana's antiquated laws. I'm just wondering, um, in terms of maybe Jeff, we'll start with you, but just your local coverage of that and kind of the pulse on the community in Kokomo in regards to Indiana's laws, because I know it's going to come up again this upcoming session. They they hope. You know, I, I I'm. I'm of the opinion, maybe that just newspaper editors care about this issue. Um, I, I'm surprised that every year we talk about this and nothing gets done, and it just doesn't make any sense. Um, like here in Bloomington and, and in Kokomo, uh, we have breweries that are allowed to sell growlers on Sundays. Um, you can go to a bar and have drinks on a Sunday, um, but you can't buy packaged liquor and take it home and consume it um, and not drive. 
I, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Mm-hmm. See, I don't think it's an issue just with newspaper editor or, or news directors because whenever we have a, a candidate forum or a debate or something, it surprises me how many questions we get from our community about it. It's like maybe the legislature doesn't seem to have an appetite for it. Or the liquor lobby is, and and the uh, um, convenience store lobbies are just so powerful that they don't want to, you know, go against them. Yeah, yeah. Max, yeah. I'm curious where where you are because people can just go to Illinois, I assume. Well, you know, Illinois has got got its appeal uh, at times, uh, even though there's a lot of people from Illinois come here uh, as well. Uh, what we hear at various Cracker Barrel sessions and forums and even on the street corner is anytime this issue comes up, I just see people rolling their eyes and saying, what is the problem? Just do it. This is our, our, our laws are silly. They don't make sense. And then when a legislature tries to say, oh, no, it really is really complicated, uh, the response you get from the public is, no, I really don't think it is. Uh, there's just no appetite for... Uh, what the, the legislature's point of view on why they have to make this so complicated? Yeah, I, you know, Max, I kind of agree with that. I'll take, I'll put on my newspaper editor hat now and just say that with all the issues going on in the world today, it's like why is why are we spending a lot of time on this issue? Just people can drink on Sunday; they just can't buy alcohol on Sunday for whatever reason. It's ridiculous; they can't. It seems to me you can buy alcohol every other day of the year. Of course, in Indiana, you can't buy cars on Sunday either. But you know that's a an issue for another day. Uh, but it just seems like to me it's almost like an issue that people can get their sink their teeth into that isn't really that important. Mm-hmm. Instead of dealing with the important stuff, that's just my you know I'm. I'm, I'm using my soapbox here instead of being a host. <laughs> no, I think that's true. I think it's something that can rile people up pretty good, but yeah. not something that we seem to make a lot of headway on. And then some of the other issues. I mean, but I guess I think that's true across the session. Yeah. Some of the issues they end up tackling aren't necessarily the ones that are probably top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, now, you know, alcohol is one thing, but but let's just get into the opioid issue because that's one that I think is affecting our communities. Um, alcohol, I've done editorials on this, and alcohol actually in 2015 maybe was the last numbers I saw killed more people than opioids. But the opioids uh, have, I don't know, about 16 or 17, and there's a difference. And when I say alcohol killed them, I mean it was alcohol-related disease. It might have been cirrhosis, mm. you know, long-term developing. If you take one shot, of alcohol, it's not going to kill you on the spot. If you shoot up an opioid, it could kill you on the spot, which I think is a big difference. So, you know, we've seen a lot of news lately. The city of Bloomington, the city of Indianapolis have both filed lawsuits against uh, opioid manufacturers and distributors. Mm -hmm. Has that happened in Terre Haute or in... uh, did both you all join that? Uh, both the uh, city of Kokomo and uh, Howard County have joined a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Same here. And same here in Beagle County and Terre Haute. I, I did ask in a recent conversation with Governor Holcomb if the state was going to join the, the group and sue, and he said that they were looking into that, and it, it was, you know, it, it we, we're going to be aired after, you know, the state may have already done it, but they... I would like. I would think that the state is probably going to join this similar thing, and there's precedent for it because of the old tobacco yes. uh, uh, agreement. So mm-hmm. makes some sense. Uh, I, I'm curious about just the impacts you all are seeing and reporting on in, in your communities. We've seen a lot of coverage lately just about DCS and the impact it's having on that agency. Mm-hmm. But it seems like this is touching so many areas. It's it's huge. Um, in 2015, we had. 36 deaths. Uh, in 2016, we had 26 deaths. Uh, this year, we've had 41 so far. Um, we're not even counting all of the runs for um, overdoses. Um, it got so um, big that in Howard County, um, a group was formed of about 65 leaders. Um, we're trying to put together a uh, systems of care for to, to address the opioid crisis in our community. A um, hundred people are have uh, been divided up into five 
uh, committees, uh, ranging from um, youth and peer um, um, problems and then um, addiction, how we're going to pay for all of this, um, our uh, local uh, court-appointed um, child advocates. Uh, we've got about 45 children that are waiting for care. 90% of the children that are being taken out of homes in Howard County, uh, their parents um, have some sort of a, um, a dependency, drug or alcohol. So I I'm sure what we're seeing in Howard County is the same that we're seeing all over the state. Um, it's just horrible. Yeah, Max, it's a 92 state problem, what, or 92 county problem in the state. What are you seeing? The things that we're seeing are very similar to what other counties are seeing. Uh, one of the things, though, that has been noted to us as we talk to uh, healthcare professionals and people that deal with addictions and, um, and law enforcement and the courts as well is that uh, we aren't necessarily seeing huge spikes. Uh, we're tracking along very similarly, uh, which is a little um, out of character for Vigo County, which has had traditionally such a serious uh, drug problem. I think uh, the way it's being explained to us is that uh, there has been an upsurge in meth use here uh, that may be sort of masking uh, what's happening on the opioid front. So maybe it's just because meth is so much more available here or there's been reasons why there's been an upsurge in homemade meth labs going on here. So uh, that is the, probably the only little little tick that I've seen uh, differently to Vigo County to, to other areas, uh, e e you know, even, even though the whole drug problem here is, um, is, is, is a really big deal and is, really has a devastating effect on the culture here, and it has for a long time. In um, Vigo County and also in Howard County, you all don't have needle exchanges, do you? We have the option to do it, but we haven't had to implement one yet. Okay. okay. Same here. There hasn't been one implemented here. There, it's been talked about, but I think probably part of the reason where they ha have not jumped right into it is that they're having this problem in other areas uh, that is almost as serious as where what they're running into uh, for heroin and fentanyl and, and some of those other opio opioid-related problems. We covered the one in, in Lawrence County that they had, and the Indiana Recovery Alliance was the one that was actually running it. But then that got – they decided not to continue it, and then – Monroe the, County just renewed its um, – For two years. Needle exchange for two years. And they have a lot of statistics that show um, the emergency room visits are down, and, and a lot of things are down based on, um, based on the fact that people can get access to – clean needles in terms of overdoses and whatnot. But, yeah, I mean, the overdose deaths, Jeff, your numbers in Howard are higher than Monroe County. We just did a big package on it, and, and our numbers were, it was 35 over those two years, 15, 16, and up through the first, I can't remember what the numbers were, but it's going to probably double that in this year. So, hmm. uh, Bob, have you reported just in terms of, like, what Max was talking about with other drugs? that. That's what I've heard sort of anecdotally is a big issue here. Well, fentanyl is, is yeah. a big issue and is a big killer here. And, um, you know, there is meth. I know of one person that OD'd on spice in People's Park and died earlier this year. So, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of different drugs that are out there. But I think the opioid addictions still get most of the headlines. Our uh, law enforcement and uh, health department are in particular concerned about um, the uh, synthetic opioids. Um, we're finding that people are just cooking this stuff in their basement, um, just like they were with meth. Um, and it's very, very uh, deadly. Um, we had about four or five police officers that were involved in a... Uh, a warrant serving in a home that was cooking this synthetic stuff and they all had to be taken to the hospital. Um, it's the synthetic thing is is what's really got people in Howard County concerned. Something that ties into this a little bit is just jail overcrowding and how the opioid epidemic is contributing to that. And 
Max, I think that's a good segue for you to kind of chime in and talk a little bit about just the jail overcrowding and then the whole the whole big mess in Terre Haute, Vigo County right. about the jail. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've been working in Terre Haute for over 30 years, and we've had a jail overcrowding problem from the day I moved in here. So it, it seems like it's a, it just never goes away. There's, there's, it just, for some reason, it's not possible for, for uh, even a lot of counties, and it's not just Vigo County, to, to get trapped in this cycle that, that they just can't handle. About the time they get a new facility built within a week or two, it's all overcrowded as well. Uh, so uh, Vigo County is in the midst of trying to come to grips with it. Uh, our uh, local elected officials made an attempt earlier this year to put a project together. Um, I, there's, it, it came with intense criticism, uh, not only for the way they went about doing it, which was not as transparent, I think, as what the people of Vigo County would have liked to have seen, uh, and also with the finished result. It was just unacceptable. Uh, in terms of what was proposed, and uh, it got set aside before it even got to the point where the county council could have voted on a, uh, you know, potential uh, tax increase that would have funded what would have been an over $60 million project. Um, so when you look at around at the various counties, a place like Vigo County, which is in need of a lot of infrastructure projects, um, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of happiness involved with putting that kind of money into a to a jail, but something's going to have to happen. Uh, we've been under uh, uh, court scrutiny for a number of years, and we get a sense that uh, uh, patience is beginning to wear a little thin uh, among those who are are trying to encourage the county to come to grips with their problem. Uh, nothing has been ordered or. Uh, nothing serious has happened in terms of putting the county on notice to, to deal with this, but they're certainly going to have to uh, find a way to come to grips with it. And it's a, such a complicated problem, and uh, the general public uh, doesn't like building jails, and I'm sure it's that way everywhere. Do we know? So it's going to be yeah. an ongoing story, yeah. Do you know what the next steps are in, in the coming year in terms of are they going to do another study or is the county going to take this back up in January? You know, you know what happened was that uh, the county council, under an urging from the county council, the commissioners did agree uh, to do a more thorough study into how they can deal with some of their correctional issues. Uh, rather than just throwing a bunch of uh, uh, brick and mortar at it, uh, there, was, there was a lot of pressure that came from, even from uh, not only law enforcement, but, but from criminal justice experts saying, you know, there, there's, there's better ways, there's other ways. You really need to see exactly what is going on in your county before you make a final decision on how how to go forward. So right now we're in the middle of having some criminal justice uh, surveys done, some more in-depth studies about the makeup of the people that are in our jail and it's clogging up the system so badly, uh, and to find a way that there might be alternatives to move them away from uh, a jail facility into something else which might take some of the pressure off. Uh, but until that study gets done and everybody forms a consensus, uh, right now, we're, we're, we're just kind of hanging in there trying to get more information so that the community can kind of come to grips with uh, the, the real fundamental portions of the problem. Let me mention that uh, you're listening to Noon Edition today. Uh, that was Max Jones, the editor of the Terre Haute Tribune Star. <coughs> Jeff Kovaleski is here. He's the editor of the Kokomo Tribune. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. And Sarah Whitmire, the news bureau chief of WFIU and WTIU, is here. We're reviewing 2017. Unfortunately, you can't call us today because we're pre-recording this program. Uh, Max, you mentioned that uh, people don't necessarily like to spend money building jails. We just had an issue in Monroe County about spending money to build a convention center. Um, mm -hmm. Monroe County passed a 1% food and beverage tax this year. The idea for a food and beverage tax has been on the table for several years, but the council, county council voted in favor of it. Uh, do either of you have a food and beverage tax in your counties? We are going to maybe get one. Um, there has been a lot of talk um, for a few years of getting a um, convention center and a hotel 
in the downtown area of Kokomo, um, we anticipate um, some sort of um, positive announcement um, probably around um, January. Um, so yeah, um, we've been working toward that too. Mm -hmm. Max? Well, we, we had quite a bit of uh, activity on that front in the past year. There had been um, um, a, a group uh, that was trying to put together a project to build a convention center as part of, a, of an expansion of Indiana State University's Holman Center, which is the basketball arena, uh, as well as used for, for other things. Uh, so there was, there was this effort uh, underway, and the legislature ha had uh, uh, allocated about $37 million uh, in state money and, and asked the county to come up with the rest of that to, to, to match that. And, and uh, if they could do that, then they, they would be able to go ahead with this elaborate convention center. Uh, the problem was the, the, because of some of the difficulties, financial difficulties, some of our local units of government have been having, especially the city of Terre Haute, they were coming up short on uh, being able to match the state's money. They did go to the legislature and ask them for a food and beverage task, tax, and they believed that if they could have gotten that food and beverage tax passed, that that would have made up for the shortfall uh, that they had in, in, in being able to put this final project together. The legislature turned them down. So the county tried to get, get the tax. The legislature so far has said, no, we're not going to allow you to do that, and the project fell apart. Mm -hmm. And now the university is going it alone in terms of expansion of Holman Center that at this point there's uh, nothing going, um, at least not seriously yet, uh, to, to try to salvage that, uh, uh, the convention center part of the project. Mm -hmm. So it's been very frustrating to the people over here. Sarah, what other uh, uh, issues do you want to go to next on your on your agenda? From what I you have a big one for you. Okay, yeah. I feel like we need to talk about the crisis on Kirkwood. The crisis on Kirkwood. Your headline this summer, and then everything that that was happening at that time in regards to homelessness and People's Park, people camping out on Kirkwood. Yeah, well, that was a big issue for Bloomington and Monroe County, and. Uh, yeah, we had a we had a program in here on it. I actually wasn't on that day, but I know um, there was some discussion about whether it, you know how big of a crisis it was. We had labeled it a crisis in our newspaper. Uh, to me, it was a crisis. There were um, people who were dying in a, about a two block square of downtown Bloomington. That seems like a crisis. A lot of people were camping out um, on Kirkwood Avenue during the day. Um, I think that was a crisis for them and a crisis for the rest of the community. It was a really nasty time here in Bloomington because there were just a lot of people who were, you know, around downtown doing things that, that are kind of antisocial behaviors in the downtown area. And the city, to its credit, I think did a fine job of sort of um, mitigating the situation. Uh, they It took – uh, some law enforcement actions, and there were people that that thought it was maybe too harsh. But the har I mean, it wasn't harsh. They just put police presence in People's Park first, and then down on Kirkwood, where people were camping out in a very public location. And when I say camping out, I mean mostly they were there during the day, but there were tents and there were wagons and. There were people putting their laundry on a construction fence right there on Kirkwood Avenue, and and it was um, it it was in my view it was a crisis, and it was not just a crisis for like Bloomington. Oh no, let's get these people out of here. I mean that's not what I mean at all. But it was a crisis for the people who were there, who as I said there were there, and I mean that literally. There were I think nine calls for drug overdose, overdoses in that area um, in a period of like. I don't know, 24 hours or something like that, right in, right in the main heart of downtown. Um, wasn't good for anybody involved. But uh, that was in June. Since then, you know, opioid crisis, uh, drug crisis, uh, the issue of homelessness, they haven't gone away. Um, but it's not as intense and it's not as visible. Um, part of the reason is some more services have come up. Wheeler Mission is in town now. And they're helping to, to um, 
provide services to some of the people who are experiencing homelessness, a new um, shelter, or a new, actually, uh, uh, long-term facility. Crawford 2 is opened, where I think 45 new um, spaces for people who are experiencing homelessness. So, yeah, big issue. And it has to, you know, there are a lot of underlying reasons that have to do with poverty and um, just the social gap and a lot of other things. Another one that I I wanted to to talk a little bit more about was the issue of just rural schools and populations. And I know we all have those in our coverage areas, but just when we talk about vouchers and how that in charter schools, how that's affecting our small schools and then property tax caps and all that is not an issue that's going away. No. And I'm really concerned about um, the story that came out of... um, the Times of Northwest Indiana this week that the state thinks it's going to miss its tax collection target by $400 million. <laughs> we have a, a, a state budget, 52% of it is K through 12 education. If you're going to make up a number that big, you're going to have to go at education. And I don't know that people are going to want the state cutting education at all. Um, I think we're going to find out on the federal level and the state level next year whether these tax cuts are, are going to serve us. Um, you know, before Mike Pence um, became vice president, he became um, governor of Indiana. Um, because he wanted to be president, he was ticking off all of these items during his tenure. One of them was that corporate tax cut, and now it's going to start impacting us. So um, it's this is a Republican problem caused by Republicans, and now they're going to have to f- come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Max? Well, certainly the property tax base in West Central Indiana, especially in these rural counties, uh, is not strong. Uh, and it continues to get weaker. Uh, we did this year see one consolidation uh, that is taking place in Park County, which is just northeast of Vigo County. Uh, so Turkey Run and uh, and Rockville High School, Turkey Run High School and uh, School Corporation and the Rockville School Corporation uh, have merged, and next year will be the first year for that new high school. And that's really one of the first high school consolidations we've had in a while. There's been some other uh, consolidations that have taken place, but I believe it's just uh, a signal of what's to come in some of these other rural counties. Uh, The strain uh, is beginning to show, and I don't think it's going to ease up anytime soon. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's true. We're going to take a short break right now. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're reviewing the year 2017 uh, with Max Jones, Jeff Kovaleski, and Sarah Whitmire and myself. We'll be right back. From the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmeyer from WFIU and Max Jones, editor of the Terre Haute Tribune Star, and Jeff Kovaleski, the editor of the Kokomo Tribune. We are talking about 2017 today, just reviewing it right up uh, close to the new year. And unfortunately, you can't give us a call today. We are pre-recording this program. We are talking about uh, some public school issues before uh, we went to break, and there are two in the MCCSC this year, the Monroe County Community School Corporation, that I think bear mention. One was an issue uh, that created a lot of emotion. Uh, the term lunch shaming was the one that was used because the school corporation was not collecting as much for um, some, of the, some of the lunches as they needed to from students. Uh, basically, families weren't paying for lunches that they were getting, and the corporation had a policy whereby everybody got food, but sometimes the warm lunch, the hot lunch, was withheld if, if a student's bills weren't paid, and that was considered shaming the students. The school board voted to discontinue that program. Um, they're now sort of really in arrears on some of the meals that through the for the lunch fund and hoping for community support to raise some of that money. Otherwise, it comes out of the general fund. But that was an issue. And that was a result of a federal directive that said that they wouldn't be able to use their money, right? They wouldn't be able to use federal money in order to pay for that. So lots of a, districts right. had the same thing. Yeah. We went through it year before. Okay. Mm-hmm. At Kokomo. Mm-hmm. Exactly Earlier the same thing. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was an issue this year. The other issue that the MCCSC had was trying to outsource busing, the school busing, and it was a, a huge disaster. Um, the, like Muncie? It was, it was, it was very similar, company. and it was the same company. The uh, students weren't getting picked up. They were getting picked up late. They were getting dropped off the wrong place, whatever. I mean, all sorts of things were going wrong. And within about a month to six weeks, uh, the contract was voided for non-performance, and the schools went back to hiring contract bus drivers and having their own bus drivers. They had some contract bus drivers anyway, but hiring a lot of their own bus drivers and doing away with this third party. We have not run down that road. I don't think we're going to either. Well, I think there are a couple case studies you should look at before you try. <laughs> but I do think that that is an issue, too. I just saw, was it Brown County today is considering changing its rules about busing to keep its buses on the road longer so that they can keep older buses in their fleet. And I think busing is something that's really expensive for districts mm-hmm. to provide. And well, it is, and it's hard to get drivers. Yeah. Um, it's hard to get drivers, and to and again, how do you want to spend the money of the school corporation? You know, on on students and learning, or on auxiliary programs. And this is a necessary program. Getting kids to school costs a lot of money. Well, uh, as long as the state's going to fund what's going on, they're going to have a say. And you know, I I think we're going to see more and more. Um, Laws being passed by the state legislature um, restricting use of state money in education for X, Y, and Z. A couple of other areas that we want to get into. We want to talk about, I guess, business and development issues in your communities. Um, What was the biggest development issue in Terre Haute, Max? We've had this um, uptick in uh, building a residential uh, structures downtown and close to the river. And that is an ongoing thing. We've seen quite a few, probably up five or six now, uh, new uh, apartment buildings uh, have gone up uh, trying to, you know, some of them are intended to serve the student population at Indiana State University, but there uh, is uh, there are even more that are going up that are going to be uh, uh, more for the general population. There's one under construction right now uh, over on the river just across from Indiana State, but uh, it's um, a remodeling or renovation of a, what was once a factory building. And uh, that's going to be a real interesting development because this is a little more upscale than what uh, the apartment buildings being constructed we were used to. That's been a main uh, part of development here. There's not been a whole lot else uh, going on, uh, you know, small things, but certainly nothing big. Uh, there's been a certain amount of stagnation uh, going going on, and uh, certainly in the manufacturing sector, although 
there hasn't been any bad news uh, to speak of, but there's not been a lot of good news. Mm-hmm. How about Kokomo? Uh, the same. Yeah. We've been focused on um, housing uh, developments. Uh, the city has um, right now a v- two very large developments going in. Uh, one ugly property on the south end of the downtown that was a closed lumber yard. Um, that's getting developed into some housing. And uh, across from the um, municipal baseball stadium is another large housing development that will have retail on the bottom, um, something that, that, that's common and around the Indianapolis area. So, yeah, it's, it's housing. Yeah, Bloomington has had an interesting year um, in development and business, and it just culminated really on December 20th when the city council here voted to for amendments to the, the current zoning ordinance to basically um, disallow buildings over 30 feet in height, which is the equivalent of about three stories, without further review from the city. And so the development community was was quite upset about it because they there's a you know a master plan and a zoning ordinance that allowed building to a particular height, and this the city decided that they wanted to change that while the while the master plan and the zoning ordinance is being rewritten. So they basically changed the rules, and the council was very supportive of it. The mayor was very supportive of it. Uh, the development community uh, was was not supportive of it and um, but it passed and it's going it, to it will slow down what's been going on in the downtown area but it won't do anything well i don't know bob i'm curious what you think about in terms of the affordability of housing in bloomington because that's what the mayor has really made a priority but it's not just rents that are expensive it's also i mean buying a house is the most we're the most expensive in the whole state yeah and and i think the mayor has a strategy of trying to provide more affordable housing it's a laudable strategy um laudable goal his strategy has been to ask requests that developers that want to have deviations from the zoning code to contribute to affordable housing in some way or in some other, you know, for some other way to for the public good. Um, developers and uh, an editor, editorial in the newspaper uh, <laughs> suggested that that wasn't the best way to do it, and it became, it became a less predictable um, way for developers to move forward. But uh, the city council and the mayor um, have um, managed to get approval for that method for temporarily, and hopefully it will do exactly what they want, which is to provide more affordable housing, um, either in the downtown or elsewhere in the community. So I can only hope that that works. The the legislature this year um, appropriated more money for infrastructure projects, in particular road road and bridge construction. And I know Vigo County and Terre Haute separately applied for some of that money, and I'm I'm sure that Howard County and Kokomo mm-hmm. did the same too. Can you talk about just construction projects in your area? And I know certainly here we'll want to talk about I-69 <laughs> ongoing. Um, it's going to be um, basically just kind of like road repaving and that kind of thing. Um, I don't anticipate anything major. Um, we did have like a we've we've had a lot of of road construction projects in town over the summer, and and it was very difficult to get from one side of the town to the other. Um, but now, you know, um, it, it's starting to ease up and uh, um, the state the state money is helping. Jeff, when was that bypass built, or roughly when, how many years ago was that? Oh, built? what was it, 2014, yeah. I think, and like that, 2015? Kind of, yeah, what kind of impact has that had on, on Kokomo and Howard County? Zero. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the big concern from a lot of people was that it was going to um, divert people from um, where there was a lot of retail. Um, but the... Um, U.S. 31 coalition of, of leaders that, of towns and counties that are along that road, they did a survey. Um, Indiana University Kokomo also did a survey after the fact, and it proved that, you know, um, like 80-some percent of the people that are driving um, on 
State Road 931 that used to be US 31 are from pe are people from Howard County or the contiguous counties. Um, it's you know Howard County is a retail hub, a, an employment hub for that part of the area, and and the people that are taking the bypass are people that are just trying to get from you know maybe South Bend to Indianapolis in, in a quicker way. In Terre Haute, it seems like there's always construction, and we've done some reporting just about some of the, the the large number of fatalities because of all the construction there. One of the things that uh, is, that we focus on when it comes to transportation here, obviously, I-70 is is top of mind, and having a major interstate going through your community uh, is a good thing, and and everyone would would signal that that that's a really good thing. Uh, the problem is uh, the traffic on I-70 is, gets, is so heavy and uh, so intense that any time there is an infrastructure project, whether it's replacement of bridges, whether it's uh, repaving, uh, what other things that may uh, come up, there seems to be uh, uh, just a, we just have a terrible season in terms of uh, safety on, on the interstate. We, we just came through a, a very bad summer uh, where there were several incidents uh, that resulted in multiple fatalities, and almost invariably these had to do with backups of traffic and then uh, a wayward semi-driver who isn't paying attention to what he's doing comes up on the on this long line of traffic and plows into the to, to, to the stopped traffic. Uh, it happened several times this summer, and it's got people scared to death. Uh, there's those who just don't want to go out there. You just don't know what you're going to uh, get into. And, of course, the locals are, are aware. What, ha what generally happens is the people that are victims of these things are from out of state. They're just trying to pass through, and they get caught in these, these long lines of traffic. So I-70s, you know, the, 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 there's a lot that needs to be done out there in terms of replacement of bridges and, and, and various projects that, uh, that have to go on. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think there's a general consensus that there, there needs to be a lot of uh, major safety upgrades on this interstate. And there is hope that this, uh, this infrastructure money, at least in part from the state point of view, help that. But probably the issue that is going to be so big here in coming years is whether or not the state will initiate, make, turn I-70 into a toll road. Uh, you're probably all aware of, of the studies that are going on, and, and uh, there will be you know, more strategic plans delivered about turning some segments of Indiana's interstate highways, especially I-70 and I-65, into, um, into toll roads. So that's going to be another thing that, uh, that will probably be met with considerable controversy. I-69, it's been a big issue here for several years, but Section 5 was two years behind schedule. Uh, the company that was building it in the public-private partnership was underwater, basically, and the state finally had to take over the project. The construction since the state took it over has moved rapidly. It's created some bottlenecks, some delays. Some days it takes an hour to get to Martinsville. Some days you can get there in the regular 30 minutes or whatever. Um, but I think people will be very happy when it's finished, what, whether, you know, Max, not everybody here wants to see an interstate go through their town. That's been a big controversy, as you know, for many years. But um, but it's here now, and people just want it to be finished. So I know I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how long it took you to get down here today. Well, it, my son started school here, what, six years ago? It's been under construction the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. When is the new deadline now? Uh, for Section 5? No, no, Section 5 is supposed October. to be done in November, I think. October or November October? Yeah, of, okay. of 2018. So we'll, we'll see. And I think the state's got a pretty good handle on it. It does look like it's, it's it moved definitely, much bit faster. Definitely progressed. But we've also had some issues with Indiana 37. It's become more dangerous even the old 37 where you where you get off it that's the college avenue exit for those of you who know we we had fatalities there this year for in an accident just like just like max was talking about there was a little project going on on that road and a truck came barreling off of that and just ran into the back of some people and it was a, a real tragedy so 
Sarah, I want to ask you about the REMC and uh, Western Western Indiana REMC, and you did a lot of reporting on that, and there's been a lot of movement out there, a lot of issues yeah. out there. These rural electric cooperatives put put together in Indiana are the largest utility in the state, which I didn't know until we started doing our reporting. But this, um, the the UDWI REMC, we sort of a long, long, long story, but we ended up looking at their tax returns and the tax returns of all the electric co-ops around the state and found out that they're Customers are paying the highest rates in the state. Their board was among the highest paid. Their rates were actually higher than like the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Hmm. Um, it was what they were paying per kilowatt hour. So we started investigating it and digging into it. And it's been ongoing for almost a year now. But in that time, the CEO has been fired from the company. They just last month hired a new CEO. Three new board members were elected, and some longtime board members were voted off. And now they—I just went to a meeting a couple weeks ago, and they're pledging in the new year that they are just going to continue to try to be more transparent. Um, and they're really hoping that next year they're going to elect three more additional board members, and then uh, they'll have the majority. The new board members will have the majority on the board, and they think then maybe they can really start doing something to reduce the rates because some of the stories that you hear people out there living in a room in their barn in the winter because they can't afford to heat their homes, those kind of things are real issues for a lot of people. And hopefully in this coming year we'll hear back about the FBI investigation that they're also a big part of. and the logging company that they own as well. We have about eight minutes to go in the program. I know we don't hit every big story that happened in our communities during the year. Um, we have on our program today Max Jones from Terre Haute, Jeff Kovaleski from Kokomo. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Uh, Sarah Whitmire's here. We're based in Bloomington. Uh, so I wanted to just in the last eight minutes sort of go around the room and, you know, what are some stories? Just, you know, mention one at a time. We'll just kind of do this like a lightning round, a story that maybe was big in your community that we haven't mentioned at this point. Jeff? Oh, the murders of uh, Libby German and um, Abby Williams in Delphi in mm-hmm. February of last year were huge. Yeah. What's the latest on them? Uh, nothing. Um, there was a, a person of interest that um, – was arrested in Colorado in uh, November, um, but nothing has happened. Um, the The state police have received more than twenty six thousand leads uh, that they have processed, and you know, it's it's it was very disturbing, and it still frightens people. Mm-hmm. Max. I'm going to throw out two real quick, Bob. Number okay. one was uh, the president of Indiana State University retired, and a new president uh, has will be starting uh, in January. Uh, it'll be the first woman who has served as president at, at Indiana State, and uh, we're looking forward to, to meeting with her and finding out what she has planned for the university in coming years. But by far the biggest story of the year continues to be for us, and probably has been this way now for two or three years, is instances of public corruption. And we mentioned the FBI investigation. We've we've had uh, the FBI's presence presence in uh, Terre Haute and Vigo County uh, in recent years has been and very intense. Uh, first, w- over practices, uh, administrative practices, and kickback schemes within the Vigo County School Corporation. Uh, two people have now been uh, convicted. Uh, of these kickback schemes, but the FBI still says that there are active investigations, at least one active investigation going on uh, within the school corporation. And then the other one that erupted this year had to do with our uh, Terre Haute sewage treatment plant. Uh, The FBI raided that plant last summer. Uh, Not long after that raid occurred, uh, the director of the sewage treatment plant committed suicide. Uh, but we still don't have any final results of that investigation, and it is ongoing. So all of those, you know, things like that really put a damper on uh, the public trust uh, in uh, in various entities of government, and 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 there is an erosion, I believe, of confidence in some of the public institutions, and and that's going to continue to be a a story for us here. I want to mention, um, and this was in the economic development area, we actually did have some big news in that area with with Cook Group. They sold Cook Pharmaco, which is um, a pharmaceutical company, a a fill company where they fill syringes and things with with drugs to uh, 
another company, and Catalan is the name of the company, which is a big player in that market. And then they turned around and they're reinvesting a lot of money into the GE plant, the, the vacant GE plant. GE has gone out. And so Cook has made a major commitment to Bloomington and Monroe County in South Central Indiana. And that was a, a certainly a big economic story. Sarah, think of, think of anything? We've covered a lot of these that, mm-hmm. that you all have mentioned. Um, we've done a lot of reporting up in East Chicago about the lead contamination up there in the Superfund site, and that's something that we'll be continuing to, to cover in the upcoming year and what they do. Um, we did a lot of reporting about the public defense system mm-hmm. this past year and whether it was whether it's really fair and everyone who is entitled to a defense, are they getting it? And how much discretion is given to judges. And that's something that we're actually going to be working with NPR on a lot in the coming year. And, oh my goodness, oh, C- I can't forget CBD oil. Oh, yeah, this is something CBD I'm sure oil. we've all been reporting on. Um, we did a half-hour documentary on that as well, but more just sort of peeling back the layers and telling the story of these folks who are exempted under Indiana's new law and are allowed to use it. So really looking at the seizure condition they have and what life is like for these people and then um, how CBD oil has been able to help them. We have two minutes to go. Tom Crean was fired, so we have a new basketball coach at Indiana. Uh, I, I always like to remember at least one or two people who have died during the previous year. There are two that come to mind in Bloomington and Monroe County. If you remember any in your areas, just feel free. One is Toby Strout, who was the founder of Middleway House and a champion in the community for fighting domestic violence. Uh, and the rape culture. The other is Ken Gross-Lewis, a a well-known, beloved um, former chancellor of Indiana University who passed away in in 2017. I'm sure there are others. We can't always mention them all. Anybody, any icons of your communities? Don Button. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don Button uh, owned a a, uh, a car dealership. He was very, very involved in the community. Um, He is going to be very, very missed. Mm-hmm. Max, any last thought? You know, I'm drawing a, drawing a blank right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure right. there was, and I'm going to regret not having it at the top of my mind. We couldn't cover every story that happened last year, but we are out of time. So I know, you know, it was a big year. 2017 was a was a big year. We just based, barely touched on the political upheaval that uh, faced all of us from what was going on in Washington through Indianapolis and worldwide and, and everything. But we're more focused on our local issues anyway. Yes. All right. But I want to thank uh, want to thank Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star, Jeff Kovaleski from the Kokomo Tribune, Sarah Whitmire, of course, from WFIU and WTIU, producer Angelo Batista, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.